0: is the Lombardi Line with
2: Michael
4: Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSN. And welcome to the Lombardi Line on a Wednesday presented by Bet MGM Dave Ross here in Las Vegas. Of course joined by the host of the show Michael Lombardi in Jersey. Michael, it's always great to catch up with you on a Wednesday. We have a lot to break down, of course, the two title games on Sunday but uh, we got another great show for you today Steve Mackinnon's going to make us all smarter and hopefully a little bit more uh, more uh, money in our pockets after we listen to his numbers breakdown that's going to be coming up here at the bottom of the hour next hour David Gascon's going to join us from Los Angeles of course we get ready for the Rams and the 49ers in the NFC title game and Lou Federaro is going to join us as well to break down his thoughts on these two NFL title games. But I do want to start off with the big news of the day. And, Michael, it broke right while we were doing this show yesterday here in the Lombardi line, and that is Sean Payton Payton stepping down as the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. And I know this is something that you saw coming for quite some time. You had a feeling that this might be the end of of the road for Sean in New Orleans. Why do you think it ended now, and what do you think the rationale is for stepping away really kind of leaving that door open for whatever might become in the future.
2: Well, you know, I mean, 15 years at one job is hard. I mean, it's a marathon and, and being a head coach of a team is a challenging job, especially one in New Orleans where you're dealing with a lot of variables. And certainly this year was challenging in, in the hurricane. He starts off having to spend two months, two basically, I think three weeks they spent in Dallas. And then dealing with COVID, deal, dealing with the cap, dealing with the uncertainty at quarterback, dealing with training a new quarter all those things, I think it just kind of took a toll on Sean. And I think Sean is exhausted. Uh, You know, back in the early back in the 80s, we heard the term burnout. Dick Vermeil made it famous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then Joe Gibbs got burnout. And then the next thing you know, coaches were talking about burnout quite often. And then, you know, John Madden would always talk about 10 years is the limit for any NFL head coach. You know, 10, you go 10 years, you got you to get a break. You need some time off. And and I think that, you know, Sean, 15 years, I think he needs some time off. I genuinely, genuinely think when the season ended, he was done. Everybody in the league was telling me, much to the chagrin of, of Saint fans who were ripping me, uh, <laughs> that he was done. You know, and that he was probably going to walk away. And I think Gail Benson, the owner of the Saints, said, "Look, Sean, take some time, get away from it, go down to go down to Cabo, do your thing down there, tell, and then come back and see if you could regain that energy, see if you could regain that that uh, that real uh, sense of commitment to take on this huge responsibility and huge challenge of rebuilding the Saints into a championship-level team." And I think once he went through it all, he realized he just didn't have it in him.
4: It's very interesting, and he had some uh, comments yesterday, Michael, that I want you to hear and then we'll react to and see if we can glean anything for what might be next, if anything, in the National Football League for Sean Payton.
2: I still have a vision for, for doing things in football, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, that might be coaching again at some point. I don't think it's this year. I think maybe in the future, but that's not where my heart is right now. It's not at all.
4: Okay, so Sean, I, uh, yeah, he's made it clear, right, Michael? There's no chance yeah. he's going anywhere this year. He's no. sitting out a year, whether that's media or just home with the family, but we're not going to see Sean Payton on the sideline anytime soon.
2: Yeah, I, I think there's no doubt we're not going to see Sean on the sideline. I think that that, first of all, he's still technically under contract. The Saints own his rights. So that contract, even though it's not being paid or exercised, Uh, he just can't dash off somewhere else or else if this were were the case, it would be like college football. Guys could could leave and go to the next job. They just resign and go somewhere else. That's not the NFL. There's rules you have to follow. So I do think that as much as I'm sure Jerry Jones (laughs) would like to see him as on the sidelines, I think he may have to wait a year to do it. And I think Sean wants to recharge his body. And I think he wants to get himself to where he's able to take on the next challenge. And, you know, look, he, he created the mess a little bit in New Orleans. There's no denying because they were on the credit card. But who wouldn't have? Like, right. you have a chance to win a Super Bowl and you've got Drew Brees towards the end of his career. Don't you go all in? Yep. You know, don't you go all in? Don't you trade the, the minor league prospects for the, for the veteran that thinks you can get over the hump? And, I mean, look, let's be real clear here. Bill Vinovich's crew makes a better call in the Rams game on that horrendous pass interference that they didn't call. They're playing the Patriots instead of the Rams, and I frankly think that they would have given the Patriots a harder time.
4: It's amazing. Yeah, basically that that call in New Orleans is going to live in infamy, taking away a a potential shot to get to the Super Bowl, obviously win it against the the Pats. You look at what Sean Payton and the Saints accomplished in 2022 or 21-22 season. They did have a winning record. They were knocking on the door of a playoff spot. They didn't have a quarterback once Jameis Winston went down. Of course, it's the year after Drew Brees retires. But, Michael, I look at the Saints now and I go, I can understand Sean Payton can get you to nine and eight and help you know f- fill all those holes that they're going to have. But my goodness, you look at the notable free agents. You look at the cap. <laughs> you look at the quarterback. I mean, Michael, what's to like? Obviously, if you want to be a head coach in the league, you're not going to turn down a, a head coaching job. There's just so so rare uh, a number of them. But still, this doesn't look like the most attractive job right now.
2: Well, it isn't. But it could be if if. The the Saints and the Benson family, Gail Benson being the leader of the team, and then Mickey Loomis, the general manager, have realistic aspirations. I mean, if they're like the Giants going into this year thinking they're a playoff team, well, you probably don't want to take that job. But if you have realistics, a little bit like what the Lions did with Dan Campbell, they gave Mm -hmm. him a six-year contract. I mean, that basically told Dan Campbell, we know this is going to take some time. And I think whoever becomes the next head coach of the Saints, whether it's Dennis Allen or Aaron Glenn or whomever, Pete Carmichael, whomever they interview and hire, you would think it's going to be somebody from within with continuity that knows what's been going on there that they can work with. I, I, I think they've got to be realistic and say, look, we're going to take some time. we got to we got to clean up this mess. Let's clean it up this year and let's stop paying on the credit card and let's fix the problems and move forward. We may take a bump in the road. And then, you know, but look, if we take a bump in the road, who knows if Mr. Brady decides that he doesn't want to play in Tampa next year, hmm. the, NFC, the NFC South is wide open. It's wide. It might not be any good, but it's wide open,
4: right? <laughs> oh, no doubt. Michael, when I look at the quarterbacks now, because Jameis Winston is not under contract, Taysom Hill is. And I know there was always kind of that Sean Payton, Taysom Hill attraction there. And we'll figure out if they do, to your point, stay within the family that's already there that knows Taysom Hill. But if they go from the outside, I wonder, does this mean to you, if you're Mickey Loomis, if you're running that, that organization, are you looking draft and say, no, as much as I know we have invested in Taysom, him. We're gonna have to figure out that he's not the quarterback of the future and or the present, and we gotta go another direction.
2: Well they drafted Ian Book, right? And they thought maybe that he could, and we saw him play in that in that Miami game and you know, for a young quarterback. Remember, Peyton Manning threw twenty eight interceptions his rookie year. So all these rookies that we're killing, be careful. Uh, You know, so I I think that they drafted him, whether they love him or not, I don't know. Obviously, they're going to need to continue to look for a quarterback, Uh, even if they brought Jameis back. I mean, what could they afford him for? Is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be able to play at the same level that he was starting to play at last year? Is he going to come back to a turnover machine? I mean, there's a lot to answer. I think what you need to do here if you're the Saints is just basically rebuild the foundation. Start from scratch. Start with, okay, we're pretty good in the offensive and defensive lines. That has been our emphasis since Peyton's been here. Let's continue to do that. Let's add a quarterback. We've still got Camaro who's a dynamic playmaker. We still have Michael Thomas. And let's see what we can get done here, but not pay on the credit card, not try to redo deals just to redo deals, just to think we're going to win a Super Bowl next year.
4: All right. So there's a lot of work to be done down down there. You mentioned, obviously, with Sean Payton, because you know how social media works and right, everybody's got him going to all these different teams. And you mentioned they're still under contract. Even sitting out the year, It's not going to change that, right? So the Saints aren't just going to give away Sean Payton eventually, even if he wants to come back to to the soundbite we just played, where he says, hey, you know, it could be coaching. And if Mike McCarthy stays one more year in Dallas, I mean, that's obviously with the ties that he has to the Jones family. That seems like a connection there. What do you think the going rate would be for a Sean Payton? Is it a first-round draft pick? Is it a later pick? Because there's going to be some picks involved, not just money, right?
2: Well, I think it's got to get brokered, and we don't know what's in that contract, right? We don't know what Don Yee, Sean's agent, put in that contract, and for Sean to say what he said leads me to think there's something in there. It just, you know, there's something in that contract that will allow him to get away, and I don't know what it is, and I can't, and I don't have verification on that. But Sean wouldn't come out and say I might come back and coach again if he didn't think he could he could coach again, you know. I mean, I think he wouldn't have said that. So. I think it's the going rate. I mean, Bill Parcells went for two and a three. Uh, a, a, a basically, he went for a fourth-round pick, a second and a third the next year, and then a one after that. We know what Belichick went for. I mean, who knows? You know, And, and Jerry will, will pay whatever it is because Jerry at that time will almost be 80 years old. And I think if he has to pay a first-round pick to get the coach he wants, he's willing to do it.
4: I think you're right, because at some point, Jerry, we saw how disgusted he was after that Cowboy loss. And again, you and I have talked about it. We actually speculated before the Niner game for the Cowboys that if it was a colossal disaster, which it was, whether or not we thought Mike McCarthy would be safe. At this point, as we get ready to get into February, and I know Mike McCarthy says all systems go, he met with the Joneses, everything's good. We know that Sean Payton, that's not going to work this year if you're a Cowboy backer.
2: Is Mike McCarthy still going to be the coach in 2022? Well, I mean, it all depends on what he does and, you know what he does this year i mean, I mean, I think he was going to be the coach this year because you can 't get Peyton I forgot we were in twenty twenty two but <laughs> I, I, I do think this I think that there is going to be a large cloud, a large cloud hanging over you know Mike McCarthy all season long and the pressure of dealing with the unknown which is really the known which is Sean Payton will loom will affect him and he's got to block it out it's going to be a hard thing for him to do cuz after every loss it's you're going to the Sean Payton's going to be the Aaron Rodgers conversation in Dallas constantly it's never going away
4: no, it's not going to go away. And Michael, I put on my Twitter yesterday, you know, you look at their accomplishments from Mike McCarthy in Green Bay Dallas versus Sean Payton in New Orleans. The resume is almost identical, which is absolutely bizarre. But you know how social media does. One guy's a bum and the other guy is the greatest coach of all time. So like that, that's the way people play that out on social media. Let's see how it plays out in real life if Sean Payton does come back maybe to Dallas in a year. When we come back, Michael, we've got a lot of maneuvers uh, for GMs. We're going to talk about the front offices in the NFL. Come on back, it's the Lombardi Line right here in Visa, the Sports Ready Network. Call 1-800-522-4700. 4700 is the Lombardi line right here on VEASAN. Dave Ross here in Las Vegas, joined once again by Michael Lombardi. And, Michael, I'm always curious, when you see these hires, and we got big-time shakeups in the front office here in the NFC North, and obviously they're going to, we believe, be making the coaching changes here soon. And you bring in a new GM like Ryan Poles. Let's start with him in Chicago. Michael, when yeah. you're hiring a GM, what, sir, are you looking for? What's the quality and trait you want to run a front office?
2: Well, I think the number one quality is he's got to be a, be a team builder. He's got to be able to understand what it takes to build a team, how to build a team, what's important on in terms of the positions and how the team relates to the city that it plays in. And, mm. in t- you know, baseball – we always talk about the ballpark, you know, the ballpark. If you have a short left field corner, you know, like Yankee Stadium, or if you have a, the wall in Boston, you build a team around that park. Well, if you're in Chicago and you know you're going to play outdoors in December and January, you better have a kind of team that can fit that that element. I think it's one of the things that, that really affected the Colts, you know, what really affected the Colts. So I, I think, I think what, what happened there was the Colts – we always a team that was good in the dome. But when they went outdoors, their defense was small mm. and it was fast, but it wasn't, you know, and they got caught up in some situations where, you know, it became a real problem. And so, you know, I, I think that's really what happened. And, and I think that that is one of the things you can't do as a you can't do this as a as a as a general manager. you got to build your team around that the right way.
4: It's a fascinating observation because, again, for uh, people of a certain generation like myself, you remember the Vikings as a kid going to four Super Bowls. Then they get the dome. Those were all outdoors under Bud Grant. And then they go indoors, and they've never sniffed it since. I know they got close that one year with Randall Cunningham. But it's got to match the city. I think that's a great point. So with Ryan Poles coming in there, what do you make of Poles coming from Kansas City? Is there now the inclination – Potential. I know Eric Bieniemy is a guy. That I think they want to go defenses from what we heard, but it looked like that search was being conducted by Bill Polian before they hired Poles. Does Polls now take over, Michael, and actually make that decision, or is this all going to be uh, con- congruent with all of uh, the other conversations that have already been had before he was hired?
2: You know, I think it's going to be a little bit of, of Polls has got to take over, right? And I definitely think that when you look at when you look at what has occurred, you know, I mean. Polian was handling it but but he was handling the sir. So Iberflus is really his guy. And so you wonder will Poles who's worked together I mean his only job he's had has been in the Chiefs organization. Will he stay in the chief organization and and try to bring the in? I don't know. You know, I think that's something to be it to be look at. And what what are his candidates? I mean, are are these the three that he has to accept? I mean, I find that interesting if that's the case. So for me, I I, I would definitely I would definitely think he should look outside the box and bring somebody. He's got to be attached at the hip. Yes. With with the guy. I mean, he's got to be completely attached at the hip.
4: That's the part that, again, and we don't know how that's going to work out with, with, with Polls and Bill Polian here, but, like, starting the search and actually interviewing candidates before you hire the GM, I'm 1,000% one, 1, with you, Michael. That It's got to be Poles' choice. It can't be that yeah. you've already made the choice for the head coach. Poles takes the job, and then he already feels disconnected from day one because that might not have been his choice. I mean, when you hire yeah, no a, right, It's right, the GM's got to make that final call.
2: No doubt. I think he definitely does. And I think that, you know, you've got to be able to, you know, have his personality in that. Yeah. You've got to have his personality in that. I don't think it's really it's too hard to uh, to see. I mean, it's his team. You've got to be able to, to to put the you know what you want in the team. You've got to be able to do it. So for me, you know, you've got to give him the opportunity, which is what I think the Giants are trying to do. I mean, they're they're trying to bring these candidates back in and going through it and see what they can do. So I, I think there's no doubt that that that's the case, and we'll see if it works out for Chicago. What I mean, you- it's interesting there the you know, Jim Caldwell, Eberflus and Dan Quinn, it's kind of a, an eclectic group of people. It doesn't seem to be like, okay. this is what we're really like. If you said to me, Brian Flores would be the guy I really want to. Now, Brian Flores may not get along with the 36-year-old Ryan Poles because they're probably there's a little bit of a gap there. Mm. You you hire a 36-year-old general manager who's only worked in one organization, only knows one system, really. You're going to you know, he's going to have some inexperience as he goes through the job. There's no doubt.
4: No question about it. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. I know uh, people back in Chicago where I just came from, they are very eager to find out uh, if they stay defense because you mentioned the identity to the city. That is, you know, that's an eight in Chicago is defense. But when you bring in Ryan Poles, that was my first inclination, too, is Eric bien That's the guy that he knows clearly in that organization. So it'll be very interesting to see where they go. What about Quesi Adolfo Mensa? now? He looks like uh, reports here that he has been hired here by the Minnesota Vikings to be their next GM so of course they've kind of cleaned house now from the front office and moved on from Mike Zimmer much like the Bears I don't know if they've been as actively searching for the head coach before making this signing here so it sounds like Adolfo Mensa will have at least it feels like he'll be starting the search from scratch what do you make of Minnesota what do you make of this move here
2: well, I mean, obviously, it's a complete analytical move. I mean, this is a young man who went to Princeton, and then he got involved. Uh, he worked in Wall. He worked on Wall Street. He did a lot of analytical stuff, and then he went into uh, then he went into doing this, uh, doing the football. And so he's going to bring a complete analytical approach, which is diametrically different than what the what the Vikings have done in the past. I mean, they're going to be completely based on analytics as it relates to player evaluations. And I do think there's a place mm-hmm. for analytics in some of this. It's just not in all of it because we're still measuring toughness. We're still measuring competitiveness. I don't know what analytics you're going to use to do that. You really, I, I want to know, you know, and you can go through all of the, you, you know, the analytical numbers, you know, what is broad jump is, what is, you know, that, that's all good. And I think that's important. It's all data that you've got to research. However, at some point, you've got to be able to determine competitiveness Character and toughness. And those things you can't find out in an analytical spreadsheet.
4: You know, it's it's music to my ears to hear you say that because, you know, I have a lot of philosophical debates and I love having these philosophical debates with people in our industry and certainly how it affects the the, the, uh, the numbers out there before we make our wagers on a Sunday, on an NFL Sunday. But, but Michael, that's a great point that there's got to be a marriage of it. It can't be all one and it can't be all the other. How do you find that happy balance? Do you think there is an organization right now, Michael, that's actually following the analytical plus the character-driven, heart, intensity, unmeasurables—that analytics just can't. There are boundaries that analytics can't reach, and I think you've touched on some of those.
2: I don't know if we found the perfect balance, Dave. I think the Eagles certainly use analytics. I mean, did that help them take Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson? Mm. You know, or was right. that? Are they going to blame that on Doug Peterson? <laughs> you know, I'm sure they're going to blame it on Peterson. He wanted Rieger. He didn't want, he didn't want Jefferson. Okay, we'll we'll go with that. It, we'll believe you. But I do think it's I think it's a pie chart. I don't think it's the whole pie. Right. I think it's a piece of the pie. And I think you've got to be able to balance the pie. And you've got to be able to say, okay, here's the reality of it. You know, and if you go all in, I mean, the Browns went all in. Yeah. I mean, just think about this. Under Sashi Brown, the Browns went all in on analytics. Where did that lead them? I mean, they passed Deshaun Watson. They said Deshaun Watson wasn't good enough. Mm. I mean, that was their analytics. They, they didn't think he was – I mean, that was analytically based. I mean, they had this before. It And and quickly, the Browns are using some of it, but they they decided to go with more of a balanced approach. The, look at some of those Browns drafts when they were all in analytics. But this is the trend of the league. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. I think Minnesota – I think if Belichick ever leaves New England, it'll go. New England will go all analytical based. I think this will all be the trend of the league. I really do. I think there'll be some outliers like the Raiders and some of these other teams that really value player evaluations. And, and I look. I'm not trying to say the scouts are always right because they're not. We all make mistakes. However, that being said, I do think that. I do think there needs to be a little bit of a balance between the two.
4: Uh, again, I, I'm right there with you, and, and you know. Th- The the analytics people, uh, whatever that is, they'll die in the hill and say, well, that was, you know, you blame that on analytics. It wasn't analytics. And the anti-analytics do the same thing. It's like, look, y'all, we understand. Everybody understands in the game of football, you need analytics. It's, It's a part of the game. It's not going anywhere, people. But you also have to have, to your point, scouts. You have to have people that have talked to these people, been in the room with them. So it's not just numbers. You've got to get a feel for that player and know what you think they might be able to bring to you on a Sunday. Because, again, it just can't be about looking at a chart. It, we got to no figure doubt. out the, the happy no marriage. I agree. Yeah, I, think, no, I agree. I think we'll get there, but you know, it's like these people got to come down with the walls of the anti-analytics and the analytics community. There is a place for both of it in the NFL. When we come back, we are going to talk some great numbers with Steve Mackinan. He always has fantastic information. Come on back. It is the Lombardi line right here on Easton, the sports betting network. has a great new offer to help make this your best betting year ever. Our all-new Big Game Big Dance special provides Visa and Plus all access to everything we do from now through April 5th for only $69. Sign up now. Get our daily best bet emails, 24-7 video access, the upcoming big game and college hoops betting guides, plus full access to VEASAN.com with our exclusive betting splits breakdown on every single game. It's one of the most exciting betting seasons of the year, so don't miss out on one of our best deals of the year. Visit VEASAN.com slash big deal to sign up today. Dave Ross alongside Michael Lombardi. This is the Lombardi line right here on VEASAN, and we always love having our Point Spread Weekly editor, Steve Mackinan, join us each and every wednesday as he does today follow him on twitter at steve mackin and steve very quickly i saw your son dunk on social media was did he get all that hops from dad
1: i have to claim yes on this one actually (laughs) that i was well known for this in my in my 20s so uh he's a little shorter than me about three inches shorter so it's quite impressive that he's able to, to put them down. So uh, very proud of him on that. He's
4: worked hard. That's, That's awesome. Sh- I'm sure Michael's already scouting him to see if maybe if he can, uh, you know, use those hops in another sport. Uh, let's talk about some of your trends that you see this week and some of the numbers you've put out here in Point Spread weekly. And it seems like early on, Steve, that some of these numbers would lead you to believe that boy, the outright winners, they're covering those numbers pretty well here when you get to the title games. So obviously that would feel like good news for Kansas city and the Rams. Uh, They've covered the outright winner in all but five of the last 40 conference championship playoff games, Steve. So that is good news. But one number here, seven-point favorites are 12-5 straight up. Good news for Kansas City. But just 6-11 ATS since 1999. So maybe a little bit of a conflict there.
1: Yeah, so if you look back... Before those forty games, twenty games, I think you'll see a little, a few more of those covers by the underdogs in that span. So, but lately, yeah, it's turned. If you recall, we talked about this in the wild card round. It was a big deal then. Uh, I believe six and all this year moved to fifty-four-seven and one in the wild card round for outright winners covering too. So. This is a touch lower, just one percent lower, uh, as far as outright winners uh, covering the game. So you think you you think you know who's going to be in the Super Bowl? Uh, you might as well bet these teams to cover the spread, uh, especially as favorites. You uh, you save yourself some money there.
2: So the teams that have won by seven points or less, which would both which would be both of these teams. Are just two and fifteen straight up, and six and eleven Oof. against the spread in their last road conference title appearances, which doesn't spell really a good situation for the Rams. Or for, excuse me, for the 49ers and the Bengals. Is that right, Steve?
1: Oh yeah, you're referring to that trend of how they scored la- or how they won last week. Yeah, yeah The teams that won these close games, uh, if they're playing on the road next week, they have not done well. Two and fifteen. Uh, their last 17, uh, it's straight in terms of straight up. So, uh, yeah, that that would go against both of those teams, uh, and also if it, what we just talked about with the outright winner trends. If you think it's another year where two favorites win, that all, all that sort of ties together.
4: And again, you see right underneath there with the home teams that were in the playoffs the prior year, 20 and six straight up. 16 and 10 ATS including seven and one straight up 16 and two ATS first teams that weren't in the playoffs the prior season Again that's not good news for Bengal backers specifically, right Steve? Okay so
1: as you as you look at that trend it's it's an experienced trend sort of. Now, I I believe this goes further against the Bengals, however, than it would against the 49ers. Obviously, there's a one-year gap there there in the Super Bowl the year before that. So, a lot of the guys on the 49ers are part of that core group that played in that Super Bowl. So, I believe that that advantage uh, is definitely more towards Kansas City against Cincinnati.
2: Do you think that – do you think the effect, Steve – I know you can't measure this analytically, but do you think the effect of the emotional game of being played in – the Kansas City, the overtime, the the whole thing is going to affect the next week's game. I keep saying to people, well, you know, we same thing happened when we beat Indiana, when we beat Baltimore two touchdowns down twice. Never happened before. That was an emotional game that we won by three, and then the next week we killed Indianapolis. It ended up being Deflategate, but that's another whole other story. But <laughs> the reality of it is, is do you think that do you think there's any lasting effect of that?
1: Well, I mean, I think you look at Kansas City and this is an experienced championship level team. Uh, I, as much as a lot, a lot of people are calling last week's game against Buffalo, the de facto AFC championship game. I think this team is grounded enough to know that you got another game here to get to where you want to get to. And that's uh, Los Angeles and two weeks afterwards. So uh, I think Andy Reed will have that team prepared. I, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a hangover effect from winning there. Hey, they win a lot of games like that. You know I mean? They're, they're, they're a team that can put up points they give up some points sometimes and sometimes they got to win in in the fashion that they did
4: you know it is fascinating steve when i look at the trends when we get to the to the totals here right and it feels like if you're an overbacker these numbers might make you pretty happy because since 93 the over is 35 22 and 1 in conference championship playoff games including overs in all of the last Five games. But really, if you want to go deeper, my goodness, how about playing? I know we don't like to necessarily say play parlays, but there is a correlation here with home teams that win and cover. Those totals are going over 14 of the last 18. If you like the road teams and taking the points, the under is the play at least six and four in the last 10. Is that is that the correlation we're spelling out here?
1: Uh, exactly. And we talked about this exact same correlation last week uh, for the divisional round. These very similar numbers home teams overs, road teams unders. And uh, if you think back to last weekend, Kansas City, the only home team to cover, wins in a big high scoring affair. The other road teams, two and one, uh, three games of road covers, those games go two and one under. So it, it, it's continued. Now you, you look at that and you think if I if I think the 49ers are going to be in this game, it's probably going to be low scoring. If you think the Bengals are going to be in, the, <laughs> in in the game, and I, I I don't feel this way myself, it's going to be low scoring. So it, it, you you need to sort of look at it that way. Now it, there's been a correlation with the points scored too by the home teams. You have to score 30 points in these in these uh, NFC or AFC championship games to be successful as a host. Mm. Do you see the Rams scoring 30 points? you got to think along those lines. Do you see Kansas City scoring 30 points? I think it's certainly more towards the latter, but uh, it, that should be a part of your handicapping process.
2: And you also have a nugget that teams owning an edge in total offensive passing yardage, which lends itself to the scoring, are 26 and. 12 straight up and 23 and 15 against the spread over the last 19 seasons in the playoff rounds. So what you're saying is that we know the Chiefs are going to get to 30. They did the last time. They lost 34-31, and the Bengals kept the ball the last eight minutes of the game. Can the Rams score 30 on this team? I mean, the way the Niners played defense in the cold against the Packers, they domin- you go back and watch that tape, they dominated the front from start to finish. I don't know if they can do that. I think it's going to be a challenge.
1: I agree with you 100%, Michael. Now, if you th- even think back to the game they played just a few weeks ago, uh, 200, I believe 265 yards the 49ers allowed to the Rams, that doesn't equate to 30 points mm. in, any, in any particular game unless there's five turnovers. And you don't get that type of turnover effect in, in these championship games historically. So the chances of the Rams getting to 30 points uh, against that 49ers defense, the way they're rushing the passer, the way they're stuffing the run, the way they pretty much controlled Devonte Adams last Saturday night again seems very improbable to me.
4: Yeah, and one more to that to that point here: teams that allowed fewer points per game during the regular season are 15 and 8 straight up, 16 and 7 ATS, dating back to the 2010 Conference Championship game. So that feels like good news for a, a Niners team, at least that we, we think of for defense, like you and Michael were just spelling out there, right? Yeah,
1: you no. Know, if you look at the defensive numbers of these teams, they're sort of close but the edges do go to Kansas City and San Francisco uh, in general so uh, it's been good to have a, a better a better overall defense and a better passing defense. Uh, to to be successful at this level of football.
4: All right. Well, I cannot wait for the championship games. And again, that is uh, it, it is fascinating information that you put out each and every week. And again, if you've been following these numbers, I'm sure you've been uh, more successful than you would be without uh, knowing this knowledge. Steve, always appreciate the time and the information, my friend. Uh, keep putting up those jumpers, and uh, I, I'll look forward to those videos on social media. They're pretty good. Thank you,
1: Jump, Steve.
4: Jumper's gone. So is the jumping. <laughs> jumper's gone and the – I don't know. I don't know. I think the old man still got some hops. Steve, appreciate it. We'll catch <laughs> up with you again next week. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, Michael, that is fascinating, though, about the Niners here in their defense and the way that they just absolutely dominated oh. those fronts because they just – they were physically dominant. And they, that's what they're going to try to do again to the Rams. They did it the last two times they played them this year.
2: I mean, they're going to put pressure on, especially inside. We talk about Aaron Donald doing it, you know, inside. But, I mean, I think when you have these Armstead and Arden Key, I mean, Raider fans, you've got to feel bad about this. I mean, Arden Key played really well last week. He mm. was tough.
4: Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. Again, we're seeing three and a half, some threes out there. Remember, this one opened at four. So, there has been money coming in most of the week on the 49ers. All right, when we come back, Michael, I'll be very curious to pick your brain about the officiating crews in these games and how you would judge that, and certainly from a monetary perspective, if there should be a way that you should value who's actually calling and reffing these games. Come on back. It's the Lombardi
0: Line right here on these the Sports Betting now.
4: MGM welcomes you with a special offer in the NBA. Simply place a $10 money line wager in any game, and if either team hits a three-pointer, you're going to win $200 in free bets regardless of your bet's outcome. Just use the bonus code VESAN200 when you make your very first wager. Plus, you're going to earn M-Life rewards. that can be redeemed for rooms and dining at any MGM resort. BetMGM is proud to be an authorized gaming partner of the NBA. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com. Use the bonus code VESAN200 to win $200 in free bets if a three-pointer is made in the game you wager on. Eligibility restrictions to apply visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions must be 21 years of age or older to wager new customer offer all promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements rewards issued as is non-withdrawable free bets or site credit free bets expire 7 days from issuance please gamble responsibly if you have a problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in Mississippi or Nevada Dave Ross alongside Michael Lombardi this is the Lombardi line right here on VEASAN. And our own Wes Reynolds uh, did some great mm-hmm. tweeting, and you can follow Wes, at Wes Reynolds one as I do, Michael. And I, I thought
2: these— And so do I.
4: <laughs> I thought it was very interesting, some of the nuggets he gave out on who we're going to be calling the championship games. Now, you're going to have Bill, Vin- Bill Vinovich doing the AFC mm-hmm. title game, and you're going to have Carl Sheffers doing the NFC title game. And before we dive into Wes's numbers, when you hear a name associated with a game, Michael— as an executive, did you and the coaching staff go, oh, no, we got this crew? Mm-hmm. Did that happen?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, all the time. But, see, this is the problem. We, we It's hard for us to equate who's co- who's refereeing the game because it's not his crew. So right. we really don't know. You know, this, this Cincinnati-Kansas City game could have guys from Scott Novak's crew. Uh-oh you know this this San Francisco could have guys from some other crew we just don't know and so it's hard to to go a to b in the crews you you've got to be careful with that but we do know there's a i mean we saw Hockley's propensity to want to inflict you know he wanted to demonstrate that he was going to be involved in a game and obviously now we you know we we know what happened there i mean and so you know like when you look at Cheffers and you say Okay, he's typically a home record of 104-109. You know, he's an under, he's about 50% on the under. I don't think that matters. I think those numbers are insignificant. Mm. I think those numbers are insignificant. I, I always felt like when you the crew was more important than anything. When you got this crew, you really understood it. Like, for example, Vinovich is a, is a really good road referee. He's really good for the road, but I don't see that being the case.
4: Because, again, it's an all-star compilation, right. if you will, with Vinovich is going to be running the crew, but he's going to have all kinds of different people on his crew. Now, Wes tweeted this out, and it is, it is interesting. Vinovich has never called a roughing the passer in 16 games this season. Carl Sheffers doing the NFC title game, 10 in 16 games. Zero to 10. That is rather significant. Also, offensive holding. Vinovich and his crew... 31. Carl Sheffers, 49. False starts. How about Bill Vinovich, 24. Sheffers, 38. I, boy, those are weird that they could be that different because you think of false a false start's to false start. Defensive PI. But we're seeing
2: false starts not even getting called. Right. You I mean, see a lot of misses. Yeah, we see. I mean, like the, the Cincinnati Tennessee game had numerous of them. I was like, I, I saw it all the time. And and you know well let's go over the offensive holding calls as you said Vinovich is 31, Cheffers is 49, but who's the the umpire? Is that guy who makes that call? Right. The umpire on that crew is he going to be the umpire here? You know if if you once you know who's on Vinovich's crew, you you basically you break down like defensive holding or PIs. I mean you know Vinovich only called 16 defensive penalties, a PI or or holding over. You know, whereas Jeffers, you better not pick off. You better not pick a player because, like, for example, the almost interception by Jack Rabbit Jenkins mm. that he should have picked off. Right. The, the, the receiver and the defensive back ran into each other. It was they were trying to run a flat route with a slant behind it, d slant. And so the D they took they had a collision there that easily could have been, you know, offensive pass or defensive pass interference. Jeffers probably is calling that if that's his crew. But they let it go. The other thing is, I think it's clear is that the, there was very little penalties this week. I mean, even as bad as I thought Hockley was in the game, because I thought he missed the call down on the goal line on you know on Evans saying it wasn't continuation. It right. was what after was the that? play. Give me a break. Right. What was that? Yeah, that was that was spot. That was bang bang. In fact, watch the officials. Both officials threw their flags immediately after contact. Right. I mean, they invented something on that play. You know, it's a good thing we tape these games because they they, they try to create a story. They're like the Warren Commission. They try to create a story, even though we have tape to to seize what we're seeing. You know, it's hilarious. But but to me, you know, I think the league office said, no way, we're going to cut back on all these calls. I mean... I I still have a hard time understanding how in the hell can you sack the opposing quarterback nine times? Can you hit him numerous times during the game and not get one holding call against this really bad Cincinnati Bengal offensive line? Like, there is no chance Spain is going to block. There's zero chance he's blocking Chris Jones. Zero. Mm. Zero. Well, zero. See, Michael, that's got to hold them on every play. Right. And again, because we talk about it, right?
4: You could call holding on every play if you want. And different crews will do it more and have a propensity to do so versus others. It can't be that one team is just not holding and the other team is. It's a matter of the officials and whether they choose to call it. Michael, this is a problem. Like when you see this variants, okay, in crews, and again, this isn't just obviously it's Vinovich's crew versus Sheffer's crew that we're pointing out here, but this is a real issue. And again, we're 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 trying to give our expertise. We're handicapping games, each and every. I'm not not just talking about this week. I'm talking about in general here. How does the league correct this? Because it is, it's almost impossible that you do have to look at the crews now in your handicapping because some crews are just going to call it, and other crews just aren't.
2: Yeah, you just, you really do. Like I, I kept saying, I don't want to, you know, we every Friday Patrick and I with with Matt, we would always have, a we call it a John Oates play. I, I can't go for that game because it was one of those, I didn't want to really, I don't think you can play all the games every week. I think that's a hard thing to do. I think you have to narrow your list down starting on Tuesday, Wednesday, go through it. But anytime I would see Novak, I mean, that was ultimately a no can. That was a John Oates play all the time for me. Mm. I wanted nothing to do with that game. You know, we see it a lot of times where it'll be in
4: preseason and whatever the competition committee, they're going to have a new point of emphasis, right? We see it every year. And then they start that off maybe in the in the preseason, which I know now is almost non-existent. So maybe it starts off early in the regular season and then they start to scale back. How do you as a GM, how, does, how do head coaches, how do players, Michael, how do they factor that in trying to quantify when it's going to be called and when it won't be called?
2: Well, I, I think, again, you're looking at the crew, the umpire. You know, you know if you're playing Cheffer's umpire, he's going to call it, and you tell your team, look, we can't hold. We've got to make sure we don't hold in this game, and we've got to be really careful. So you just have to coach the players up during the week. I'm sure that every, that these staffs, Kansas City, Cincinnati, have gone through with their players over each specific position. The back judge, the line judge, this is what they're going to call. They're not going to let you cheat. You know, like I thought last week the Green Bay's tackles were setting really deep Mm. uh, on the pre-snap. They almost were like an illegal formation. This is one of the unknown things they don't, you know, and if they let you get away with that, that really benefits the offensive tackle because now he's back and he has a better chance at blocking the, the rusher because he's already off the ball, Right right but and so they want them on the line but they let them cheat that a little bit they let them cheat that a little bit but if they if they give you that it certainly is an advantage to the offense and and I thought this year this week they were definitely letting that happen
4: so you think that these are conversations Michael that have to happen for Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay yep. going all right look Carl's doing this game Right. So we don't know the rest of the crew, but be aware he's going to call everything. So, like, you can't hold 99 on the interior because you're yep. going to call it. Right. So these are actual yep. conversations. And maybe conversely with, with, you know, Zach Taylor uh, and certainly with Danny Reed, they're going to say, all right, guys, hey,
2: we got a guy
4: that's just not going to throw a lot of flags. So let's go ahead and take some more shots.
2: And I'll take it one step further, right? I think that they'll go to the up during the game, and they'll say, before pregame, they'll say, "Hey, look, just keep your eye on that left guard, Spain. He can't block anybody. I'm just telling you, you watch him. He's going to hold on every play." They're going to do that too.
4: Wow. So the, the the coaches will actually say that to the officials.
2: Oh yeah, that guy can't. That guy can't block our guy. He can't block our guy. There's no way. He couldn't block Jeffrey Simmons. He's not blocking Chris Jones. The right tackle's not going to block our guy. He's not going to block our guy. Just keep your eye on the right tackle. And the right tackle sets way too deep on pre-snap. This is something about the Bengals. Sure. He sets way too deep on pre-snap. Can you please make sure you pay attention to that?
4: that? That is fascinating inside the weed stuff here because, again, they're going to set the tone for the officials before the game even kicks off to say, hey, yeah. you've got to pay attention to this. And there's some merit to that, right? It's not just coaches for a call. There's some merit no, to it. No, they're, they're actually- watching the tape. Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, yeah. I'm going to be fascinated to see how many calls, uh, holding calls go against Spain on Sunday. Because you're right, that conversation is going to be had. So let's see how these crews play out. Uh, Michael, when we come back, we're going to take a look at some prop scenarios here in these title games yep. and figure out if we can find some value there. Come on back. It's the Lombardi line right here on Visa the Sports Betting Network.